You know those conversations you have with your friends about politics and life and parenting? And because we think ours are so insightful, we figured we'd broadcast them to the world. I'm Natalie. I'm Amanda. And we're Two Mamas and a Microphone. So we are back at it. We took a little bit of a sabbatical and we're back recording our Two Mamas podcast. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. How yeah, about you? Good. We haven't even seen each other. And we have not. So there's the so much to talk about, right? Absolutely. A lot has happened in the month of April. Um, Derek Chauvin was convicted. Yes. Can you believe it? I'm so happy. Yeah, I am too. I am too. So, um, you know, I thought about talking about this, but I think about what to say about it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It feels like it's been a little while since all of that happened yeah. because there's just been so much going on yes. in the world in general um, that I feel like it's gotten pushed aside a bit. Yes. Honestly, even though it was such a big, is such a big deal. What's crazy about it actually is that, so Derek Chauvin um, for, you know, the one person in the world who might not know, kneeled on the neck of a black man who had tried apparently to pass off a $20 counterfeit bill, knowingly or unknowingly. And he kneeled on that neck with his full weight for nine and a half minutes. And it was recorded, uh, by a team. And even though it was recorded, um, you know, there were people still in doubt about his guilt. Um, and the interesting thing about the whole like Black Lives Matter movement is that there were people saying, hey, we're not being treated the same because we're Black and we're being targeted even because we're Black and we're being killed by police officers because we're Black. And... I think it, it led into systemic racism, which people don't understand. They think if I have a black friend, I'm not racist, which means systemic racism doesn't exist. I want to go back to the actual kneeling. Mm -hmm. First of all, I wonder, I ask myself, what would I have done if I had arrived at the scene and I saw this man kneeling on this man's neck? What would I have done? Would I have pushed him off? It doesn't seem like anyone physically tried to get Chauvin off of George Floyd, did well, they? He, no, but he was surrounded by police officers who were keeping people away. And it's intimidating. I was thinking the 17-year-old girl who filmed it, I have so much respect for her because I would have almost been intimidated to film it. You know, we live in a country where we have such an imbalance. I mean, certain people hate to hear this and are and are enraged by it. Uh, as you can tell, they've replaced the American flag with a flag representing police officers, uh, which should tell you the reverence that people have for police officers. It's almost like they want a country where police officers can do anything. And we've created that when you get stopped by a police officer, you know, you start to shake. And that's like 
a, me a white person shaking when somebody stops me. Well, it's true. Even when you drive past a police officer, it doesn't happen to me anymore. But I know when I would drive past a police officer and I was speeding, uh, I would automatically start shaking and feel butterflies in my stomach. I would feel it even if I wasn't speeding sometimes. I would feel like, oh my gosh, how am I driving? Am I driving straight? It's very adversarial. It's very much they're in charge. You are uh, at their mercy. And so I think there, there is definitely a problem with the power dynamic. There's also this problem that police officers have a hard job in the sense that they're dealing with scary people and mentally ill people and situations that they're not equipped to deal with. I don't think that they go through a very rigorous training process. I don't know that. Well, maybe their process is rigorous, but maybe it's more physically rigorous than it is emotionally and psychologically rigorous. And mentally. Right. Because they're dealing with mentally ill. I think our system completely needs to be revamped. How is it that parents that have mentally ill children have no other choice but to call the police in to Mm. help them deal with the situation? I I just, I don't understand that. So this is where we're getting situations where children and adults, mentally ill adults are being killed because the police don't know how to defuse a situation where the the person is having a mental episode, right? a psychotic episode. You know, and I think what happens when people try to discuss it is that it is complicated. And we don't love complicated issues as human beings. And we don't do well discussing them. I think that, you know, there are so many levels to the challenges. So many of our systems are are outdated, um, need to be completely overhauled, whether you talk about the prison system, the police system, the library system, our post office. There are systems that could work and they don't work. And we should dismantle them and reassemble them. But people think, I guess, A, that's too hard, or B, they are very simplistic and they think, no, bad guys go to jail and police have to get them. (laughs) And it's that simple. But it's complicated because you do have all of those, you have domestic situations, you have mentally challenged people, you have... Um, somebody who's sitting in a restaurant, not paying for something, but maybe is homeless or, you know, there's so many things that the police have to deal with. And also they're young oftentimes. Although Chauvin wasn't young. Well, that's true. That is true. He was not young. I I mean, what is he in his forties? I don't know, but you're right. I think he's in his forties. So he was, he's not young. I think that he's at the point in his life where he should have known better, particularly when he heard George Floyd asking for his mother after however many minutes of kneeling on this man's neck. Yeah. This man wasn't moving. What type of threat does he pose to you when he's not moving? What is that level it's rage it's deep rage and i think that the sad thing there's so many sad aspects to that but what is sad is that i think most thinking reasonable people believe that chauvin should go to jail for that i mean i really do i think republicans and democrats can agree on that um what is more troubling is that there are instances that aren't quite as clear cut 
but are very clearly skewed and problematic that people disagree on. You know, some guy's running and they shoot him in the back and then people say, well, he was running. I, I mean, I don't really know what their logic is to the fact that he was running. I, I think it goes beyond the person themselves. I don't think Chauvin had an issue with George Floyd himself per se. It is his deep-seated thinking about Black people in general and about the way that he should be treating a Black person in general, which makes me think of a story I just saw the other day um, of, I think she was six, a six-year-old girl in Florida was paddled by a teacher or a principal in the school. So the mother filmed it, which also leads me to think I wouldn't film it. If someone were paddling my child with this gigantic paddle, I, I wouldn't film it. I mean, I guess it was good because it brought awareness to it, but the child had to suffer. Were they people of color? Were they not? What, I what think the that the, I think that they were all Latina from, from okay. their accents. I mean, I just looked at right. it for a moment, but apparently corporal punishment is allowed in schools oh in Florida. But what the mother said and what I also saw was that this teacher or principal or whomever she was paddled the girl with such rage that it had so much more to do with her deep-seated feelings about whatever this girl represented, not the girl herself. Well, so many levels to that story. Because <laughs> I could, we could do a whole show, and we should, about corporal punishment. Yeah. We totally should. Yeah. Um, secondly, I do think as it, as it relates to the filming, that it has taken us actually seeing video before we take action. So that person could have felt such powerlessness that she thought, unless I film this, nothing will happen. I, it would be very I hard. Agree. I mean, I agree. I think it was good that she brought awareness because obviously I would have never have known had she not filmed it. But at the same time, corporal punishment is allowed in Florida. It's legally allowed in Florida. So I wonder if this is going to make a difference or how many more instances is it going to take before it makes a difference? You know, when I hear this story and when I listen to some of the people that are like, this is a tangent, but not wearing their mask or, you know, wanting the parade. And they're so mad because how can we possibly honor veterans without a parade? Right. <laughs> <laughs> just impossible right. unless we're like you know waving which is ironic but, because when i used to photograph the parade for the patch years and years ago um personally i had a time limit i had to go to another shoot so i wasn't able to shoot the ceremony at the cemetery right. but i was attacked for shooting the parade uh it's people are nuts but what i think is that people are nuts like really when i hear about corporal punishment when I hear people talking about the fact that, you know, they're enraged because they cannot, you know, have a parade when there is a virus that wasn't created um, on purpose to hurt them or to keep them from the parade. I do think we are living in a nation that, or no, a world, because it's not just our country where we have varying degrees of evolution. I know I always say that, but we have varying degrees of cognizance. We have varying degrees of self-awareness. We have varying degrees of, you know, reading. Um, 
I will tell you a story off the air. And I'm sorry to say this, people, but you can't hear it because <laughs> it involves people within our community. But um, it makes me understand that people are not picking up books and read. Yeah. Let me just say that we got a letter by, from somebody who was so enraged and said, listen, I did my research about this. I watched, you know, Bill O'Reilly and Bill Maher. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's not really research. Right. Like you might want to whip out a history book. So it's, it's very strange that people are operating on feelings. Right. Not intellect. Well, you know, there obviously is a brain gut, a mind gut connection. So the feelings do ultimately come from some type of thought process, but they haven't taken the time to analyze the thought process. They just accept it as truth yeah. and then move forward based on whatever their gut is telling them. That is such a great segue into another thing that we wanted to talk about. You know, when you said accept what your brain tells you as truth. Yes. Because, you know, the voices in your head are not always truthful. Right. Sometimes we think if we think it. Right. It is. It, I think it, therefore, it must be true. Or feel it. If you can feel it with every fiber of your being, it must be true. That's true also. And we were talking about, I found this great store and I was driving up to it and it was kind of out of the way. And I started thinking, oh, they don't want me to go into the store. Oh shoot. Should I go in? Maybe they won't like me. <laughs> like it was so weird that I would actually think that I couldn't walk into a store because they wouldn't want me there when most people open stores because they want you to buy stuff and go in. But it kind of, I must, it must touch off some weird feeling of self-worth that I'm always as a human being struggling with. I guess. I thought it was interesting that you said that when you walked into the store that you thought they were going to judge you for the amount you were buying. Which well, was that wasn't really me. my, that wasn't really my thought. I was, I was thinking that that just was a tangent off of it. I wasn't really, but, but I have thought that. And I think that's why I said it because I do sometimes think somebody's going to think I bought too little or too much or what did I buy? It's just a judgment. It's weird that I can be so annoying and say such things that we just talked about with the Chauvin verdict and Black Lives Matter and say things that I know enrage people. I mean, sometimes here in Doylestown, it might enrage more people than it makes, you know, happy. And I can do that. But I'm also the same person that struggles with thinking what do you think about what I'm getting <laughs> or what do you think about my being here or what do you think about me walking around and not buying something? It's just strange. And you and I were texting. Um, I don't remember when, but again, whatever we were texting about, we were talking about just feelings of self worth, feelings of deserving. Do I deserve this? Right. And so I think a lot of people struggle with that, but I think that there are two different types of situations. Some people struggle from imposter syndrome where they feel like they're just not good enough or they don't have the, the skill set to do whatever it is that they want to set out and do. Whereas then on the other hand, you have inferiority complex where it's just, you constantly feel like you're less than. Mm. 
So I think it's an interesting dynamic. And how do you know if it's imposter syndrome or if it's inferiority complex? Well, maybe at the, at the root of both of those is a feeling of, of worth. Right. Because I think that, you know, there are instances where I do feel you know, I've evolved at this point in my life where I've overcome maybe whatever feelings of low self-esteem I would have had at 15. Right. So hopefully you get past that. But then I still recognize that there are instances where I feel like I don't deserve something, whether it's, you know, success or um, to be heard. When we, when we talk about business, you know, maybe I think is what I have to say as important as what so-and-so has to say. And it's so wasteful. I yeah, think those feelings like are so wasteful. Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. I probably struggle. If I had to define them in that way, I think I probably have more of the imposter sy syndrome than the inferiority. Yeah. Which so lately. Do you have either? I, def I definitely think I have inferiority okay. complex. Um for a lot of reasons, but um, it makes me think about the Mennonite community. So recently I've been watching <laughs> Breaking Amish. Oh, I know I'm like seven years late. Oh, I'm seven. Uh, believe me, I haven't seen it. I'm seven years late. Minimally. I just watched everything else. So, you know, that was the last Maybe thing left to watch, to watch. So we live in Pennsylvania and there's a huge... Amish population and Mennonite population. So they have one or two Mennonite people on the show as well. Um, so Mennonites and Amish are, are very different. Amish don't use electricity basically and Mennonites do. They believe in modern technology. Um, but underlying all of that is the feeling that they don't think that anyone is different from anyone. Everyone is the same and nobody should draw attention to themselves. So I wonder if that those communities were born out of inferiority complex or um, imposter syndrome. So rather than allowing yourself to feel like you're less than, let's just build a community where everybody is the same and we're all the same. But at the same time, if someone breaks away from the community and does try to find their own path, they are judged. So I'm not quite sure how successful um, the, the... Yeah, I mean, it could have been born from that. And, you know, I think that there's elements because I remember when we were all stopped in the very beginning of the shutdown, I had feelings of horror and fear. But there was a comfort in the fact that we were all doing the same thing. We were all stopped. I wasn't not driving my kids somewhere that you were driving your kid to, you know, there was this kind of comfort. Um, I couldn't exist in that forever though. And, and I do prize so much individuality and, you know, I, I kind of love those differences. Um, and those differences are, it's fine for me that they're economic sometimes and environmental, I think that, um, you know, obviously, I think that sometimes we have systems set up to keep them too disparate, but I th think that I would hate to live in a community where I had to be exactly the same and do exactly the same stuff. Yeah, it feels stifling. And I think that for me, I've realized that it's okay if someone is more successful than me at whatever I want to be successful at. 
because they made the choice to be that successful. Whereas I might've made a different choice. You right. know, maybe I chose to stay home and, and cook and clean a little bit more than I was working on my business in some points in my life. Absolutely. I think we all do make those different choices and sacrifices. I, I think, again, back to the systems, we have systems that are set up very in a very skewed fashion in this country, and hopefully we'll keep on going toward changing them. But at the same time, I so agree. I think that, you know, you may have done this and acquired this and I choose this. Also, different things are important to different people. You know, I, you know, me, I, I don't like cars. I don't care about them. I, I don't hope for a special car. I don't even know which cars are supposed to be special, but you might love cars and that's your thing. And that's what you're going to, you know, make sure you have nice. And so I do think also we, we love different things. I don't want to clean a big house, but I do want to go on a nice vacation, you know? Right, so right. I think that all comes down to our Enneagram type, oh, which yeah. is the, the process I learned the other day. So our types are based on the processes that we created um, as children in order to survive. Mm. So I find that to be interesting. So I'm an Enneagram four, which is a creative person. So to me, my material possessions are an extension of my personality. So my car it basically just shows what I feel like mm, on the inside, yes. you know, like I want to be seen a certain way. I, I want to feel a certain way. I want to, I want, I like that visceral experience because I'm a creative person. That makes sense. Whereas your type is not necessarily, um, doesn't necessarily value it's experiential material, yeah. right, objects in the same way. It's true. Yeah. My type is all about the experience. Right. And I want to be able to, afford the experience for me and for my kids and for my family. And also it's why when we go on vacation, we go on it together. Right. I don't want to be someplace wonderful without my kids. I want to look and watch them do it right. too. And it's all about the experience. I would like to have, you know, I don't want to have something that's falling apart and breaking down sure. or, you know, old clothes or whatever, but it's not what, it's not my driver. The experience is my driver. Yeah. So, um, and I don't think it's about self-worth ultimately. No, you're I right. I think it's about choices. Now, some of us don't have the opportunity to make the same choices that other of us do, which I think is misconstrued as worth. I agree. And we've also placed a huge value. We love wealth in this country. We love it. And I mean, we could do a, a whole episode about how much we love wealth because yeah. This person is rich, therefore they're good. This person, you know, people go to jail for stealing one item from a store. And then you've got millionaires who have ripped off tons of people who will never see a day in jail. Right. But we love them and we respect right. them. And we even think, hey, the fact that they built somebody over, they, they got rich. Right. We worship probably money more than any other thing in this country. Right. But that doesn't make a person more worthy no, but than another I, person. Right. But, it, but I do think it creates a, 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 an environment where you feel less worthy if you have less right. money. Exactly. But that's not what it's, it's about. It's, it's internal and it's not right, right but it is, you know. It's back to the, um, to the systems that we've created, to yeah. the infrastructure that we created yes. at some point in our evolution. Yeah. I guess you, it, it all, you know is the, the you're right that's where we've created them and then we have huge amounts of people who are like no we've got to keep them right 
it's working for me. I guess, I guess it's working for them, you know? Right. So they're like, we must keep it at all costs. And then you have people, and I tend to think those people are at a higher evolution because they're like, you know what, but it's not, even if it's working for me, it's not working for everybody. And ultimately that means it's not working for me. Right. Because we are all connected. Yeah. So I wonder, does Chauvin have a high self-worth, feeling of self-worth, mm -hmm. or does he have low self-esteem that he covers with this power essentially that he has so was he did he kneel on george floyd's neck because he has some type of insecurity that he feels that the power of being a cop can overcome i think that it's gonna get me in trouble but i do feel like a lot of people go toward a uniform because they haven't inferior sense of self yeah not everybody for sure i think i know some wonderful police officers of i really do yes yeah, so that are just like fine amazing people who i would love to have by my side in danger or not in danger agreed but then i do think that there are a host of people a lot of people who gravitate toward that line of work because they have no feelings of self-worth right and because there isn't this years-long process you know, it should be like, you know, when you get a college degree, you should have to go through a certain um, education, like you were saying, psychological, emotional, intellectual, yeah. and of course, physical. You should have to go through all of that um, and then maybe be evaluated mentally right. and then maybe be evaluated on a regular basis because I can see how it could damage your psyche. Yeah. I mean, and not even, I don't know if evaluated is the right word, maybe supported, maybe given the support that you need, because I know that there are people who have come out of the military. I know people personally have told me they've come out of the military. They don't have any options for a traditional nine to five behind the desk type of career because they don't have a degree. So they feel that their only option is to become a police officer because they feel like that's the only thing that they're qualified like that to do. Yet they're still suffering from the trauma of whatever they experienced when they were in the military. So there needs to be some type of support that helps walk them through life. Yeah. Essentially, we all need that. I, I think we should all be in therapy, yeah. quite honestly. Well, support is a really good way of putting it. You're right. You're right. That's more of, a, and you're right. Which I, um, maybe I'll start therapy. <laughs> I just don't want to unearth yeah. too much. <laughs> well, I feel, you know, so empowered by my four therapy sessions that I've been to so far. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what the resistance is. We're so, it's so interesting that there is this, um, you know, buck up, you know, just get over it. And we have this kind of interesting approach to it as human beings. Yeah. Well, I like that teletherapy is a thing yeah. now. And I have a space where I can separate myself from the rest of my family. No one else can hear me when I'm talking to my therapist. So I've eliminated the need to shower and get dressed and drive, yeah. which is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I also have a, a, a space where I can talk freely without worrying about who's listening over yeah, my shoulder. Not too. everybody has that. No, so it's... there are a lot of barriers. It might not necessarily be a resistance to how Having the therapy itself, it's just a resistance to creating the environment or the inability to create an environment 
to foster a successful uh, therapy session. I will say that I think this is a great first show back because it's given us lots of threads to talk about in the future because all of these things that you're saying we could talk about on um, on a whole show, like our approach to mental wellness and why do we treat mental wellness differently than we treat physical wellness when we are mental people as well as, you know, we have physical bodies. <laughs> I don't want to say it. I would say I am mental and I do have a physical body. So it is perfect. weird to say that we're mental people. <laughs> I don't know what that means that we're mental people. <laughs> I don't know what that phrase means. Mental patients. But we can explore that on the next episode or a future episode of Two Moms and a Microphone. So yeah. I'm happy to be back at it. Same here. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh, yeah. We were going to talk about that. We don't really know what it means. I know it means to have a margarita. <laughs> and I said, I thought it meant Mexican independence, but then one of my daughters said, no, it's like when we, Mexico was separated from France, but then I was like, isn't that independence? I feel like I should remember because when we lived in California, Cinco de Mayo was a big thing. We celebrated every year and I, I thought it was Mexican independence too. So I'm going to have to Google that. So I will say this. Don't judge me, California friends. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's interesting that we have such conflicted feelings about people from Mexico, but we love our Mexican food and our margaritas. So happy Cinco de Mayo. Absolutely. I love my friends from Mexico. I do too. <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone. See you soon.